Hello and welcome to Couch Chats, the podcast that immerses you, our listeners, in in-depth theatre experiences, all from the comfort of our couches. I'm your host, Ryan Thornhill. In each episode, we will feature either a theatre company, a theatre artist, or a new theatre work. Today's episode is a segment titled Behind the Scenes With, and today we are behind the scenes with London theatre company Seven Arc Productions, who are here with us to discuss their company and their latest project. Seven Arc Productions is a theatre company comprised of four graduates of East 15 Acting School. The company uses imaginative frameworks to open up dialogues around sensitive subjects such as mental health and male suicide. They have devised a new play, In Limbo, which follows James, who has taken his own life on a journey to confront his past while discovering what it really means to be a man. They worked in collaboration with Samaritans, a charity dedicated to reducing feelings of isolation and disconnection that can lead to suicide, to ensure that the subject was portrayed sensitively and conformed to their media guidelines for dramatic productions. They debuted the production at Tristan Bates Theatre as part of the Camden Fringe Festival last summer. We also have a volunteer from the Samaritans here to talk to us as well. Always Time for Theatre states, In Limbo is a sensitive and well-considered piece of theatre. It depicts a slow and silent death of the inner self in plain sight. And if the headlines are teaching us anything, it's that risk of suicide is often masked in this way, so as In Limbo attests, it's time to pay closer attention. Welcome everyone to Couch Chats. Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, now, before we get started, uh, let's just get a brief introduction from everyone and go ahead and let us know the role though, in your play. Uh, hi, uh, my name's Sean and I'm playing the lead, James. Hi, my name's Beatrice and I play James's younger sister, Sarah. Hi, um, my name's Catherine and I play the role of James's girlfriend. Hello, my name is Anna and I play Isla, James's guide in Limbo. So we should probably start off by telling you what In Limbo is about. Um, so basically the play follows our protagonist James, who's played by Sean. And he kind of takes his own life at the beginning of the play. So we arrive with him in this kind of limbo world. Um, and throughout the play, he's basically given an opportunity to reflect on his life what brought him to the end essentially um through moments of there's moments of joy there's moments of sadness you know it's not all kind of like dark and depressing and you know we can, we do reach a point of kind of like uh happiness at the end and it's kind of like showing a uh, relationship building between uh, james and isla's characters and how they work together and sort of like connect as one. To enable James to find a new perspective on his life and enable him to find a way to move forward. Um, but I won't give too much away. I think that's enough information for now. Um, so I'd like to uh, happily introduce Jesse, who is a Samaritans volunteer. We worked really closely with the Samaritans on this piece and we're so grateful to them. So hello, Jesse. Hi, um, as Anna said, I am a Samaritans volunteer. Um, my name's Jessie and um, we don't have surnames on the Samaritans. We, we all only use our first names and I've been a volunteer at the Central London Samaritans branch for three years and I've also been involved in their work in prison for two. 
um, we'll talk about it later. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for introducing yourself. Um, I find it extremely amazing that you guys all met, you know, together at East 15 Acting School uh, and created Seven Arc Productions. So how did that all come about? So, yes, so we all studied together at East 15 for a year on the MA course. Um, and as part of the acting degree, we have a module where we create, we form theatre companies um, with each other to create a device piece. Um, and so that's how we all sort of became Seven Art Productions. Um, and we all were united with um, wanting to explore this really sensitive and difficult but important topic of mental health, specifically male suicide, which is a, a huge problem um, that we all feel very connected to and strongly about. Um, and then, so yes, so we uh, formed our first In Limbo Take One, um, performed that in East 15. Um, and then the four of us, so we were a slightly bigger company, but the four of us wanted to then continue on, redevelop the play. Um, we'll say more about it later, but it's completely transformed over the last year um, and take it to Camden Fringe. So that was, it was born in East 15, but it sort of was fully formed as part of the Camden Fringe where the four of us really worked together to create the show that we have now. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's how we all met. No, that's really great to hear to see how, you know, it comes from one place and, and makes it to another place. I find that, mm. I find that really amazing. Um, so when it comes to your project in Limbo, what made you to decide to devise a piece about male mental health? Oh, it's such a good question, Ryan. Honestly, like we had so many conversations about what do we want to make a play about? We know we want to make a play about this, but we don't know how to execute it. Like, you know, we began our process, you know, sitting down, bringing in lots of like art and music and all that kind of thing to discover how we wanted to kind of spread the message of this man up thing that we all talk about in our society is complete rubbish. And we want to get rid of that stigma. So obviously we did a lot of research and we kept stumbling across these statistics about suicide being the highest killer amongst men under 40. I mean, Jesse can probably give more accurate statistics for us on that. But essentially we were all really passionate about male mental health, particularly being a really close cohort at drama school meant that male emotion, expression as a man and really digging into how you feel was really encouraged as actors and is really important to be able to really go there. Um, so we basically saw the benefit in that during drama school and kind of correlated that with our own experiences with men in our own lives and we kind of thought you know what no we need to make a play about this we need to let men know that it's okay to talk about how you feel to express how you feel and to own how you feel really um, so that's kind of where it came from and we kind of built on that with lots of different organizations and uh, different ways to kind of express but it was it's been a long process like don't get me wrong it's been, it's been long, but we got there in the end yeah i think as well it's you know it's really just as well that like we've got that passion because we've all we've all experienced it one way or another you know we're coming from our own experiences um and that allowed us to just sort of bring more to the project um whether it was through a, like a loved one um or a family or a friend who had gone through something like that like me myself, like I've gone through my own experience. I had my, my cheeky quarter life crisis when I was um, 20, 25. 
And, you know, it was, it was that thing of, you know, actually realizing that I was suicidal and that I was going through, you know, what some people would call a big slip. And it was then, you know, just sort of realizing, you know, in that moment, you know, when I, so I had that one night where it was like, it could go either way. And it was a friend who, you know, answered my phone call and just from him listening essentially saved my life. And, you know, that sort of was, it was just that sort of moment of truth. It's like, how do we bring that into the play? And that is essentially what, you know, the Samaritans are all about. And we're trying to bring that into the play, this idea of listening. Um, and then I felt, you know, from my truth and what I went through and from some of the others, you know, we, if we started from that place, if we started from a place of truth, um, then we could, you know, create it. And then we had the artistic license to then hopefully make it entertaining as well, you know, not just some heavy play, but we knew that we then would, we were all, we all went in, we all started this definitely coming in with the right intentions. Um, and then it just has evolved from there. Yeah, and, and um, I think coming from the perspective of someone who's been a, like um, a supporter, who's trying to be there for someone, um, like a family member and an ex-partner um, who was going through depression and um, attempted suicide, I think it can, um, there's a lot of people who can relate to, to the aspect of trying to not knowing how to be there for someone in the best way possible. And through the character of the, the sister um, and with the girlfriend, it help, I think it helps to illustrate the ways that people can maybe, they, they think they're, they want to help and they have the best intentions, but perhaps don't know the, the best way to be there for the person. And um, through the play, we try to show how, even though they have good intentions, they are actually um, putting more pressure on that person and that really they just need to to listen um, and not tell them what they need to what they need to do and to give too much advice even though that's a natural instinct so that's part of why I wanted to be part um, explore this topic as someone who's gone through that from the perspective of trying to to be there for someone in the best way and not knowing how we basically are the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm not like an ethereal person. No, you are sometimes actually, yeah. <laughs> so in the article, The Paradox of Devised Theatre on the 21st Century Stage, Vanessa Garcina states that it's theatre that begins without a script. The script gets written as the rehearsal process takes place through a series of improvisations and collaborations. Now, can you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit more about the methods and techniques you used in devising process? Yes, of course. Um, so what we did was we started working with a, um, a director, a freelance director, Georgie State, um, for our Camden Fringe production when the four of us um, formed a, a company, so graduating from East 15 and um, we started off by trying to create a, um, a timeline for the protagonist James's life um, following him from his whole journey um, through school um, and all of the the order of the events um, that happened that led to the progression until he eventually um, took his own life and um, then we did 
quite a lot of character exploration um, to really develop um, these new characters of James, his sister, his girlfriend, and the character of Isla, who's the guide that he meets um, in Limbo, who takes him through these memories. Um, and once we had more of a, a grasp on, on these characters, we, um, we would pick a point in the timeline and um, improvise a scene um, based on that point in his life to create like a bank of memories. Um, and when we would improvise the scene, we would record it. Um, and then afterwards, we would transcribe each scene and type it up. Um, and then we'd go through the transcriptions and edit them down because often um, improvisations might have repetitions and uh, go on too long. So we'd edit those and refine them and then um, play around with the, the scene order um, and, and eventually kind of cut, cut it down to um, to the, you know, the, the basics of what we what we really needed and what we wanted to um, include and then refine and rehearse and so it was a it's quite it's quite a long process but it meant that we could all really have ownership over all of the material and with the director she was like um, there to help help us have an overview and outside eye perspective but it was very collaborative the whole process yeah and we Sorry, Sean. We um we got complimented a lot on our script after Camden Fringe. Um, I had friends for sure that were asking who had written because on the program it didn't say who the writer was. Um, and I said no, we we devised it, we collaborated, everything was from improvisations, and and they were honestly shocked because by the end of it, I mean it took lots of work and lots of re revising and stuff, but by the end it did seem to have one voice you know it wasn't lots of different chunky because it was all words that we'd come up with in the moment based on the characters um so it worked surprisingly well really um we were very happy with it yeah just the first recording you know like you listen back to it and in the improvs there's just a lot of unnecessary swearing <laughs> there is a lot yes. like it was just every other line but once we actually took away the swear words there was you know maybe 20 30 percent you know there was still there was some gold there so it was just growing on that and realizing that you know amongst the swearing there's just these moments that were just beautiful that just actually stayed the same you know there's this really um harrow well it's sort of quite har a harrowing scene you know it's, the, it's um between beth and james and they're really struggling at this point in their relationship and you know it just it just kind of landed and not much changed from the improv to them doing it in the show and uh like i'm i'm one for you know rewriting and changing um but when it kind of just lands and it feels right and it felt so authentic it didn't we felt it didn't need that and then from the audience's reactions they were like oh god I, like i've been in that situation like i've literally gone through that relationship kind of chat you know so it was just really nice just hearing them sort of say that you know they could identify with it just from one improv where you know me and me and cat just nailed it basically <laughs> But I think another thing to add is as well, like we, because of improvisations, we never knew what the outcome was going to be. So we basically decided the plot from our subconscious because when we improvised our breakup scene, we didn't know it was a breakup scene. You know, it was, it was, we were given a, a last minute prop. Um, we were told to, we were given the sound of rain in the background and it ended up 
that we didn't know who was going to leave who. And, and so actually that made it into the play. So it was really fun, lots mm. of discoveries. And, and the objects is just such a powerful thing to do because as soon as you introduce an object, it just adds so much power of, you know, there's an, there's, there's an action now within the scene, you know, what are they going to do with this object? And um, if I'm right in remembering, with ours, it was a letter or, a, yeah. and, um, and so it was this kind of, this power of, you know, Beth, Cat's uh, character, wanting me to read this letter and the power in just passing me this letter and me not reading it because I couldn't go there because it was too painful, just said so much, you know, like just the, the visualization of me just unable to open this letter and just her broken wanting, you know, all she wants me to do is open this letter. And I'm like, I can't go there. I just can't go there. And that was just why these improvisations were just so useful because it's like, you can cut out all the crap, you know, you don't need all this filler. You can just have this really powerful image. Yeah, and it feels a lot more like real dialogue because people slightly may overlap or or they don't speak um, in perfect sentences. And I think if you sit down at a laptop, you can sometimes just write something that doesn't feel like a real conversation because you're trying to make it too perfect. Whereas sometimes people don't know what to say and they, they change their mind and they, they can't formulate their thoughts and that that kind of came across through the improvisations more because it was it was sort of real and so I think we managed to get an authenticity from that. Yeah no and I think my favorite part of what you said was that it gave you the ability to all have ownership and feel like you know you all you know created something I that that was the most poignant uh, poignant part I did I love that that you guys can all just go go back and say we just came together and this is what we created I think it was I had read something somewhere, you don't have the, an author's name, but it was created by the company or something like that, correct? Is that on the poster at the fringe? I, I mean, in that, I can only imagine being an audience member going in there and seeing that and being like hyped up and ready to watch it because there's not this one person that created it, it's created by a group of people, which, which can only, I can only imagine would, you know, excite people, so that, that's awesome. Um, now, before we jump into the next part, I just want to take a second and let uh, Jesse just go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about the Samaritans. Sure, um, I'd be happy to. The Samaritans, um, if you haven't heard of it, is a huge organization in the UK and the Republic of Ireland. We're made up of about 28,000 volunteers at our peak across, oh God, I can't remember, 100, over 100 branches, I think, but you know, you can check that out on our website. And they range from kind of tiny little branches in rural to rural England, rural Ireland to big branches. So I'm a member of Central London Samaritans, which is, I think we have the most volunteers um, of any branch, which is probably because of where we are. Um, and we have about 400 active listening volunteers and we provide a listening service, which is a word that's come up a lot on this call, um, on this call, on this, in this chat, um, about how we, we don't, we don't give advice as Beatrice mentioned earlier. That's not what we're there for. We're there to listen and help people really feel heard. Cause as you said so nicely in the last, um, bit you all have ownership over this play and one recurring theme I hear a lot on the calls is talking pe to, to people about experiences or their life or bits of their life that they don't feel they have ownership for or they don't feel they have choice and it's just about being that person that listens and doesn't tell them what to do um, 
and we have a thing called the listening wheel which has lots of different ways we can listen and the what big one in the middle is silence which is obviously the opposite to what you might do in your normal life but giving someone the space to breathe um and that's kind of what we do we're around 24 7 so we answer the phone sometimes there might be a bit of a wait but we're, there's always somebody at a Samaritan's branch somewhere that will be there to pick up your call. Um, we also have an email service, which, um, so if you don't feel comfortable talking, don't feel safe talking, you can contact the Samaritans by email. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for elaborating there for our listeners to just kind of get a little bit of an idea of uh, what the Samaritans is about. And I also think it's really great that you guys were able to uh, put yourself together with a, such a great organization to help you know, create this piece and, and work beyond the piece um, to just get that, that idea out there, get that message out there. Um, so can you let us know how your collaboration with the Samaritans uh, informed the devising process for your performance at the Tristan Bates um, as part of that Camden Fringe Festival? Yeah, absolutely. So Basically, after our first performance at East 15, we kind of thought, you know, we could actually make a real difference in people's lives with this play. We had a huge impact on a lot of audience members. Um, some people found it quite difficult to watch. Some people found it very touching. And we kind of thought, let's link up with a mental health charity. Um, and we decided, hey, let's go to one of the biggest ones for mental health. Let's go to the Samaritans. And hey, we managed to collaborate with them, which was amazing. Um, so we had a lot of help with um, our devising in terms of like media guidelines, what's acceptable to portray on stage, um, and also particularly with the character that I play, Isla. Uh, we wanted to incorporate an active listening approach with her character. So she kind of, uh, she's not, she doesn't really resemble like a therapist in Limbo, but that's what some people might think she is at the beginning. But actually she's more of a guide, more of someone who James is able to have, who listens to him, someone who he has there in a safe environment where she won't give advice, she will help him to process what he's been through. And all the things that Jesse was mentioning, that's kind of the model we went with. So, you know, lots of open questions, um, allowing him time to share and explore the situations he's been through, um, things like that. So that's the main way that Samaritan kind of helps us, as well as being like a constant support throughout the devising process, helping to promote the play, um, you know, linking us up with Brixton Prison, which we can come to soon. Um, and yeah, just being like, you know, a partner in a journey that we were going on, really. Mm. I, I think what was really interesting with that as well, with like these media guidelines, you know, obviously we just wanted this play because we're handling such a sensitive subject we wanted the play to be as authentic as possible and you know handle the subject with you know the kind of you know attention to detail that it deserves but it was really interesting you know the more we were getting told about the guidelines you know we were aware i was just thinking most you know there's a lot of films and tv series out there that don't follow these guidelines you know Les Miserables the film version you see Russell Crowe jumping off the bridge you know and it's like it, it's just, it's just was a real eye opener to kind of go, there is a responsibility here for all film and all theater. And a lot of them aren't doing it. And obviously we had to go the, uh, we had to really make sure we were paying attention to detail because we were in collaboration with Samaritans. But I think it was just such a good thing for me to, and for us all as a company to kind of become aware of, because now 
anything you know as seven arc that we maybe the new play that we devise in the future or in, even in with our own projects we're gonna come with that awareness that you know there's a responsibility as artists you know if we're gonna highlight these important issues there's a way to do it you know with the, you don't want to trigger anyone you know don't yeah. trigger people um and i guess that's been through our own experiences that we've learned that you know it's been a journey we did we didn't just have one chat and we learned, but just having Samaritans present um, and just constantly kind of just getting us to reevaluate things and helping us with that collaboration process, what initially might have seen as a limiting thing because, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, actually just helped us tell the right story. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And for, sorry, <laughs> for me, I, I felt uh, this play brought up so many questions through the devising process, you know, what is our lasting message? What are we, who are we to tell people how to deal with these really difficult feelings, you know? And Samaritans really helped us not, like have this confidence that we don't need to give these, we're not therapists, we're actors, you know, give space to these stories, um, but also things to avoid triggering um, and things to promote like silence, space, to let people breathe um is so important and and talking about you know triggering theater and i i remember that reading the media guidelines i remember thinking oh my gosh i've definitely been triggered by theater before and it wasn't a good you know in a in a negative way i remember seeing a production at the rose theater um recently in the last few years i went by myself um and the, one of the final scenes is a young woman overdosing and dying and it was about five minutes on stage and of course I was crying which I often do in theatre but I left in a really dark place and I couldn't pinpoint why I didn't know if it was the play had really moved me but it wasn't cathartic it was triggering for me I, I found it so uncomfortable um, so Samaritan sort of answered a lot of these grey area questions that I had I couldn't pinpoint why I felt uncomfortable reading the guidelines I was like oh it's because we've given a suggestion of how to do it or you know or or visualize you know showing it on stage and, and then you think okay this is why i feel uncomfortable so it was so helpful yeah and i just thought in case that people aren't um, aware about the guidelines one of the main ones is about not depicting um a portrayal of a method of suicide on on stage um and so as not to be triggering people, giving people ideas, like leaving people in a, in a place that might be unsafe. And we had um, Samaritans um, preview our production and come to rehearsals and um, they could tell us um, if there was any, any points in the piece that they felt weren't um, adhering to those guidelines and we would make um, adjustments accordingly um and that just made us feel a lot um a lot sit like more reassured and safe in in our production bringing it out to the public knowing that they had kind of previewed that and and given it the the okay uh, i don't know if you wanted to expand jesse i just think um it's really important to what you guys have said and emphasize that this the media guidelines aren't about shutting down the conversation around suicide and why it happens um, and all the th different things that lead up to it. I think one thing I really loved when you were introducing and giving a synopsis is that the play isn't just sad because no life 
is just one linear journey and there's all these different emotions and different experiences that trigger different emotions whether them bad or happy or sad or disappointed or whatever that might look like um and the media yeah the media guidelines aren't about shutting down that conversation that's not helpful um it's not helpful to say that mental health isn't real or doesn't happen we need to acknowledge and talk about all that it's just about doing it safely as you say so not showing someone overdosing for five minutes on stage which probably isn't particularly helpful to people who have stable mental health and never have had suicidal feelings let alone people who are dealing with them in their own private space and um just back to what you say um anna about your character not being a therapist nobody on the samaritans well they might be a therapist in their personal life but when they step into the phone room they're not a therapist they're just a volunteer who's given up a couple of hours a week to come and as everyone has said listen oh i think that's wonderful and, and extremely honorable and i give you guys a round of applause because i think it's great to be able to give someone a safe space to know that they can come and see their story see people who are going through the same things that they're going through but knowing that they're not going to be triggered by it they can watch it and, and hopefully it helps them you know hopefully hopefully it can make things better for them which i i think is absolutely wonderful um now just to kind of spin off of um some things there i know that uh part of this project you guys did some some outreach can you go ahead and um just elaborate a little bit about your work in the schools and prisons yeah so after we'd um, done the camden fringe festival last summer um, we were really keen to keep working with the Samaritans and um, keep developing this um, this production. And we really felt passionately that we wanted to take the production um, to people that could particularly um, benefit from an, a, a dialogue around mental health being opened up. And we know that it's a certain demographic of people who would come to the theatre in London um, and that we wouldn't necessarily be able to reach some people that could really um, do with the message even more. Um, so we wanted to take our production on a community outreach um, project um, with um, the Samaritans who have partner like partnerships with schools and prisons. Um, and so we were working with them to um, go, we went into Brixton prison um, several times um, to do some research and to speak with the inmates and we've been planning a production um, to do to take the production there in their chapel um, as part of the uh, listening like to promote the listening scheme that they run there um, which is and if you want to expand on it on it Jesse about the the listening scheme that you run in Brixton yeah so um I have been, as I mentioned at the beginning, part of the prison scheme with Samaritans for two years, and that's called the Listeners Scheme. And um, what the Samaritans do is they train uh, people that are people in prison, so um, to be listeners and be Samaritans for the other the other members of the pr prison population. Um, so it's a, they do exactly what a Samaritan would do when you pick up the phone or when you drop in, um, but for the prison population. And they um, they just ring their bell and they ask for a guard, a guard uh, ask a guard to fetch a listener and that will happen. And um, they get the same service, it's confidential, it's non-judgmental, it doesn't get shared among the prison. And we hold 
we hold our the the guys in this case because you guys were going into Brixton and I go into Pentonville which are both men's prisons in London um to really high high standards they have to do as the Samaritans do within the prison population we expect them to follow that and really really abide by our code of confidentiality and non-judgmental listening which um is fantastic and they are fantastic the prisoners the listeners are incredible they are so engaged and just want to make an impact on their the population that they live with and they it's much harder for them than us like they're on rotor for the in pentonville sometimes they're on rotor once a week for a 24-hour period i go into branch and do a couple of hours of listening and then i go home and continue my normal life and i can go back to being judgmental if i like or whatever that might like look like or be bad at listening because i am a person that would err on the side of advice giving in my normal life um but they don't have that luxury they really give up so much to help their help the community in prison which is a community that you know struggle to talk about mental health and struggle to acknowledge mental health and as you said at the beginning male mental health is such a big a big topic of conversation a big taboo as it is um that you know compounds that into a prison environment and it's so it can be worse or it can be the same so um it's an amazing scheme yeah, and we were really overwhelmed with the response when we went um, we went into Brixton Prison a few times and the Samaritans um, took us round the different wards so that we could just uh, speak to the inmates and we told them that we're planning to bring a play about um, male mental health and we got such a positive response um, from the people that we spoke with who really welcomed um, this conversation being brought up and um, a, a lot of a lot of them were very um, open in terms of talking about their their own struggles of their of their mental health and um, the fact that the fact that this time had made them realise that they really they do want they do want to talk about this they want this um, this conversation to be brought up um, and so it made us feel like this really this is really important thing to be doing and they were saying that they feel they they can be really forgotten about in there and that. Um, it meant a lot to have a company that wants to come in and take the, a, like a piece of a production, a play, art to, into that into that environment because um, it's it's not something they have they have easy access to. And um, we had our um, production scheduled there for June, but obviously because of um, the COVID crisis, that's been postponed for the time being. But we feel like once. Um, it is safe to go in and do it, it will be even more um, of a valuable time because the inmates have been um, locked in there in the prison in their cells of 23 hours a day to stop the spread. That's um, clearly I think would have had quite a detrimental effect on mental health and this will be sort of even more welcomed after this whole difficult period. Mm. And without yeah, witnesses we as well. And yeah, and yeah, exactly. It's, it's been so hard. It's been, it, it must have been incredibly hard for them, but but you know, so that's definitely a, a reasoning for wanting to make sure that we do go back there once things uh, come back to normal. But I think when we were there, it was just it was just so eye opening just to see such enthusiasm about you know most of these guys haven't seen theatre, and so the idea of just seeing something different that just mixes up their day a little bit, it was just just like a you know a, sm a smile would just come over their face because they could just see that we were trying to just bring something to them that might just 
give them a bit, a bit of entertainment for an hour and then hopefully get them talking about an issue as well. But it was, it was just really profound that these, you know, fully grown men, I just went in there thinking that they weren't going to be able to, and not all of them, don't get me wrong, but some of them were just so articulate with the way they were talking about their own mental health. This one guy uh, in one of the wards we, we met, he used this beautiful analogy about his own depression, about how he felt like he was stuck at this bottom of a lake. Um, and he was, you know, his ankles were just anchored down by these chains and he could just see this boat above him in this lake and his depression would just bring him down and down. And he's like his family with the boat. And he said that he's made such progress that now he feels he's, you know, he's on the boat with his family, you know, they're keeping him going, but that anchor's still there. And it was just, you know, it was just so profound that we kind of just said to him, like, in that, you know, we just had a, we'd had a really long chat with him and we were just sort of so moved. We were just like, is, would it be possible to kind of just put some of those kind of words that you used into the play just to help really sort of show that we're coming from a truthful place? And he was more than happy for us to do that. So it's just, again, just having those little, you know, gems just thrown into the play because it's coming from a truthful place. Um, and yeah, we just, I think, I don't know, I just feel after be after going quite a few times to the prison it was just it really felt like your perspective we're just such creatures of habit you know until we've actually been somewhere we can't really comment on it you know that just seems to be the case with a lot of people and you know some of my friends would be like oh why why are you going to the prisons like they could get the school stuff but they didn't quite get why we were doing it at the prisons where they really need it you know and it was just um for me it was just brilliant to be in the prisons and just kind of get chatting to these people and you know they, they they've just it is that cliche thing you know they've, they've a lot of them have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time not been given the same opportunities and you know they're like you see with the listeners scheme you know they're given they're getting given a second chance and all they want is purpose and you know that's that's similar to james's narrative you know who am i what am i doing here what's my purpose in life and I really felt when I was talking to a lot of these prisoners, you know, that they're, they're the same as James in some way. They just, those three questions never got answered and never got, never, they never got the opportunity to answer them in their childhood. And for whatever reason that led them to there, there you know. Um, so it was just, it was just a breath of fresh air. And I, I firmly believe like that, that, you know, there should be some sort of thing where everyone has to go to a prison at least once in their lives just to visit them and, and kind of get, because otherwise we don't, I think the, the numbers are so big right now, the prisons are so big that we don't, we just hear the numbers, we hear the crime rates, but, and we, we, we quickly forget that they're people. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, just... to... <laughs> Sorry, Sean, to interrupt you. Coming back down to our play and what really hit me, like so clearly when we went to visit the prisons was how much of a correlation there is between what experience these men are having in prison and our play because essentially James is in a prison type thing in when he's locked in limbo essentially because he's woken up in this place that he doesn't recognize that he's never been to before he's stuck there he can't get out um, and he's with this one other person the guide who is there to kind of like be with him on this journey and like these people that are in the prisons they are in cells uh, that they have to stay in with one other person or on their own. So to bring our play in limbo to these men, like in the prisons, to show them, hey, this is what you can do for each other. You can be there for each other. And then to have that idea along with the listening scheme 
Like, I just think it's such an amazing way to show these guys, like, it's not all bad. You can be there for each other. You can make something of this time that you have here. Like, grab it and use it as something positive. And I think that's why I was so gutted about not being able to go because of COVID. I was so excited to take that. And we will do. We will take it. Just it will be a while. But that's what I'm really excited about. Because the, the listeners would be, sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to go on another rant, but the, uh, the listeners, you know, that was what the beauty of it as well, was because there was a lot they could kind of relate to. But then at the end of the, 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 the performances, you know, we're going to have, well, I, was, I was talking past tense, but we are going to have it because we are going to do it. We're going to have listeners at the end of the show, you know, there, and there's going to be a separate room uh, in the chapel where we'll be performing, so that if anything does come up, you know, they they have a window where they can go to a separate room with one of the listeners, and they can just talk about if anything came up. And even if it doesn't, we're just going to give them a space afterwards just to de-escalate and just kind of chat. And maybe, you know, maybe none of them chat, you know, maybe none of them really get open up. I'm not expecting, you know, a room of fully grown men to start crying or anything. I don't, and I don't, don't want that. But if one guy, you know, just says to his mate after that show, a day or two later, like, hey, man, I'm actually kind of going through some stuff here. You know, just something, just something. If there's a slight shift in one person's perspective, um, that'd be great. Because, you know, we believe from the Tristan Bates performances, you know, so many people got talking about, their perspectives that they never had before, you know, or they just they just opened up. Some of my friends said to me they were just they were like, oh yeah, I'm actually like I've had a shit week, you know, just from after they'd seen my show and they would never they would never say that they'd just be like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. So just we're giving that space to the prisoners as well, so that you know it's they're just people as well. We're just giving that space where they can open up. I was about to go on a rant again then, so I'll, I'll rein it in. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back to the being there for each other and giving the listeners tools and stuff. Um, it goes, they really say that. That's the thing that they take away from being a listener for however long or short they do it, is that they have these new tools that they can be there for other people. And they say they take it to their personal relationships and a lot of them go, oh, I just started listening to my missus. And you're like, okay. Um, but they, they take those tools back and they really use them in their own life. And if that's the only thing they can, if that's what they get, not the only thing, but if that's what they get from their experience, then that's amazing that, you know, six or seven more guys in the world have this experience and they are, they are the harder to reach people. They are the people that don't engage in this conversation as much as probably the people on this, on this podcast who are all people that are willing and want to. They're people that this is not their top priority and it goes back to what Sean was saying about opportunities. They're just trying to figure out how they engage with the world and what they can do and that sense of belonging. And so mental health probably wasn't their top of their agenda. Um, and wrong place, wrong time. You're just trying to get by, whatever that might be. It's just not the thing you've been brought up to talk about potentially. There's, that's quite a stereotype. So I'm a bit, a bit scared of saying that, but there's a lot of different things. And I think it gives people that space and they go around and they get they get a bit of status within the prison so they can walk yep. around and they get to they engage with orange well in Pentonville it's orange in a lot of prisons it's green to actually match the Samaritans I don't know why it's 
I don't know why it's orange in Pentonville. Um, but yeah, they get a t-shirt, you know, they have a bit of status, they can go around and talk, they often have good relationships with quite a few of the guards as well, which um, helps them be a good listener as well. It's really important to have that good relationship with the staff as a listener. But yeah, they go around, they get to talk to people and they raise awareness of the scheme, that's part of their job. And so they create these relationships and people know they can trust them and when they say hey how are you they actually want to hear how you are which I think is different right like normally yeah. when it says hi how are you you're like I'm fine mm, it's so true um I remember because as we've said like you take so much of this into your personal life as well you think oh gosh actually no I do give advice too much I don't just you know I'm a fixer and all that stuff but I remember coming from rehearsals where we spent three weeks intensely rehearsing for this show and discussing so openly about mental health and stuff and I remember going to um a friend's birthday and someone asked me I hadn't seen them in maybe a year and they said oh how are you and I just automatically went oh I'm awful my granddad just died and, and yeah and I'm just really tired and I just and I started saying all of this stuff and they just looked at me like what are you doing because <laughs> they just expected it oh yeah I'm fine and that's what I would normally do. So it's been a personal journey for all of us, I'm sure, as well, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, oh, of course, of course. I can only imagine that, you know, going through something like this, learning as much about it as you can from an organization is completely changing your, your ideas and your prospects about just a simple thing about listening to someone, the way you listen to someone, you know, the, the way you interact with someone. I'm sure it's changed completely um, from what, you you're used to um now you would not ever guess that mental health would be a sensitive topic to this group who is actually trying to break down the stigma but it can be a sensitive topic to talk about um, and to even create a project about so can you guys go ahead and explain any obstacles that you encountered creating in limbo yeah no it was just really easy the whole thing actually <laughs> <laughs> no it's yeah it just there was obstacles um, and I just think, but I think it was, it was, again, it was just, you've got to love, I think even regardless, like anyone who listens to this, who's just an artist in whatever they're doing, if you love it, then you'll get through it. Like, but you've got to love it and you've got to be coming from a truthful place and then you can get through obstacles. Um, but to begin with, yeah, there was just a few things. Um, I think we spoke, you know, we've already covered basically, you know, at the beginning, you know, we, it was almost a little bit triggering our show when it was back at East 15 before it was public performances. Uh, so that was kind of just kind of going, right, what, you know, I think it's really important with the devising process, keep coming back to what am I trying to say here? You know, what, what, what do I want the audience to leave with, you know? Um, and obviously triggering is not it, you know, but like we've already covered, you know, we just, if we can get maybe one person just to open up a bit more, then that's it. That's great. So I think that was, um, that was kind of maybe the first obstacle. Um, and I feel we really honored that and addressed that. And, you know, the, it's always a work in progress, our show, but when it got to Trist, by the time, you know, we, we made a show in three weeks, you know, we kind of, it was, we wrote it, we, you know, we did those improvs, we rehearsed it. That was three, that was all in three weeks. And then we put it on at Tristan Bates, you know? Um, and I just think I've got such time and, love for the whole fringe festival scene because you know people just you know they'll be they'll come to a show and they'll spend 12 pound and they'll be like god that's quite expensive and it's like i was like 
like we're still not making really any money from this you know it's like but we love it you know and it's like and so the obstacles are endless you know just in the time frames that you get given it's just works in your expected you know our tech and our dress run is on the same day as the press night you know that is the reality of fringe shows um so i think it's just good to honor that that's an obstacle in itself and just kind of you've just got to go this is it I've, you get you get one day to just kind of pull it together and put it on um and i felt we worked really well as a company you know just doing things like the check-in and check-out i found really helpful the just, the check-in is you just go, take it in turns to go around in a circle just kind of um, and you all get given a space just to share where you're at that day um and that that if there is an obstacle or something that didn't get addressed in a rehearsal space or the way we, you know, maybe the artistic director of Tristan Bates, you know, dealt with us, you know, there wasn't any problems there, but if there was, that gives us a window to kind of just voice that. Um, so again, it's just about even, it's about, you know, it's just about like what our show's about. It's about being listened to. And yeah, I think finally, I'll just say with the obstacles, for me, the main thing I really noticed was the, the schools. You know, we, we, we really wanted to go to schools and prisons because we were just like, the people at schools, we've, we saw it as almost like a prevention thing. You know, you get people talking about, um, you know, because it's from 16, you know, onwards, that's, you know, when the suicide rate starts going up. And it just felt like if we get in there, you know, at the age of, you know, sixth form students, when then this could be a prevention show almost. Um, and there was, we, we, Samaritans were incredible you know they got us a meeting with the you know just a comprehensive school but like a, a you know it's a really good school don't get me wrong they're great at what they do but then the more they kind of realized oh god this is a show about suicide the resistance that started coming in because you know that and it's nothing on them the school the, I just think the education system needs to radically you know rechange and I, and I think you know with everything that's going on with mental health and you know with the black lives matters movement i think you know schools are realizing that they do need to completely change the way they've educated people but there was still this kind of thing of oh we we, we do a q a with the samaritans like once a year that that feels like enough and i i, I don't know just like a q a like samaritans are incredible but i don't feel that's enough to engage a 16 year old you know a, a kid almost you know a teenager you know they're young um and it was yeah that it, then they it didn't we didn't get to put it on there because they they just didn't believe that our show you know they thought it was essentially too much you know for 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 the t for the students um and you know there was too much swearing or there was too many sexual references and you know there was there there is very there wasn't, <laughs> there there wasn't. Was, like i mean i was like you could you could watch some you could watch doctors on daytime telly and there'll be more sexual references than our play you know there was I mean, we had like one peck i think in the whole play like there was honestly nothing we had one kiss on the lips and i think that was they were like well so I, I i yeah so again i feel that that's something with with the education system i think they need to just kind of really wake up and go kids are swearing you know teenagers are swearing teenagers are having sex and teenagers are starting to think about their mental health and but you know but then but then also are, then teenagers are starting to have mental health issues so when are we going to have a serious chat about it?
about it. And guess what? We're going to try and do a show for them and entertain them as well whilst they're learning something. So it's not just some bloody PowerPoint, you know, yeah, I know from my experience, not work those PowerPoints. <laughs> There's something um, so, yeah. very powerful about the um, actual medium of theatre, we feel, like the, the fact that the, um, the students can be brought through a journey that they can identify with the character, it really just brings it, the message home so much more than um, just learning through uh, like a textbook or Q&A. And like from the feedback that we got from the um, Camden Fringe production, there was like a young teenage boy um, that like my family knows who came to see it and he said that he felt like he was James and that he felt less alone to see himself represented on stage. So that's why we feel like it is really important. And um, even though we didn't get to bring it to that particular school, we did perform the play at um, Arts Ed Sixth Form, which is um, the, like I'm an alumni of, um, of that school. So we, I brought it back there um, to them and the feedback that we got from the sixth form students there was really really positive and um, it gave us a lot of encouragement that it is worth us like persevering to take this play into sixth forms um, and to find ways of overcoming those obstacles that, that can come up with that the school kind of censorship system. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's just basically it is still a controversial subject and of course it is we're not pretending it's not you know it is taboo which I don't think it should be but schools have guidelines themselves and um, sort of censorship in some things and, I, and we understand that and also just to say like I I think the Samaritans outreach in schools is amazing I, you know we've learned so much about all that they do and um, they they have because I, I remember Samaritans coming into my school and I it actually really moved me because I remember they sort of did a reenactment of the conversations and stuff so you know we're not we're not saying that a powerpoint doesn't do it because as in in the, the they do do amazing work and we were really excited about collaborating more you know maybe making a whole day of it with interactive things um but yeah but also still making it current and things because Basically, there's not enough that we can do. Why stop at a PowerPoint when you can do more, you know? You know, I was just going to say, I think that's something that schools are going to have to address in September, because just anecdotally, anecdotally about COVID-19 and the impact that's going to have on a certain generation of young people from, I don't really know, but I think 14 to 18 um, are really going to be impacted. They've been at home since March. They've been isolated. Um, and it's going to be a huge thing that's going to have to, and if you hear head teachers on the news recently, um, just worrying about the mental health of their, their children and young people, um, abuse has escalated, all that sort of stuff be, is being compounded by the lockdown situation. So I think it is going to be something that is going to be at the forefront in the next kind of six to 12 months for young people, especially. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, what I was going to say before is it's just it's really nice that there is that and, and this can probably even be used to combat the issues that COVID may have brought up. Just have that alternate option other than throwing a PowerPoint up there. And it could be anything, really. It doesn't even just have to be theater. I mean, you guys are showing a good 
option to have an alternative. It could be anything, you know, and it's just nice to see that there are people out there like you guys that see that we can do this in an alternate way to kind of bring it home more, make it more poignant. Um, and I really appreciate that and think that that's, think that that's um, a really great thing. Um, now let's jump into the uh, kind of theatery creation side of things. Um, and we all know that working with a new piece of theater, you know, things are constantly evolving and changing. Um, and I can only imagine that it's even more heightened, you know, when it comes to working in device theater. Uh, can you go ahead and let us know uh, how In Limbo has changed and evolved over the time from the beginning at, at, at the school to where it is now? Yeah, I think it's more how has it not changed. It's literally gone from like different ends of opposition. It's crazy. So firstly, the biggest change is uh, the first rendition of In Limbo, there were seven uh, company members. Um, so we had, uh, yeah, quite a big cast actually compared to a lot of our other cohort at drama school. Um, and the In Limbo was kind of like a similar sort of concept. So we had seven, six characters who arrived in Limbo together and we kind of um, explored why they were there. They'd all taken their own lives and we were exploring kind of what brought them there. Um, in a piece that was, uh, I think it was like 35 minutes. So first big problem was that we found that trying to explore these people's mindset, their lives, their choices in 35 minutes to six people is a bit much for an audience. Um, we really went there. We went um, quite deep uh, into their minds and their lives and their pain. Um, and we found that that was just too much, too much information, too much to handle for the audience, quite triggering at times, um, because a lot of us did draw on personal experience too. So we basically, the first thing we did after we finished was say, right, let's make this about one person. What do we want to make this about? And we kind of decided as the four of us had to take this on that the uh, male suicide was a thing that we all wanted to explore within the theater. Um, so we hired a director, Georgie State, and she basically helped us to explore James's story. So then we changed, the three of us kind of um, became connected to James. Um, Sean's character did change, um, and we kind of worked together to create that. We also added different props as well, so we kind of used um, boxes in the first uh, go at Tristan Bates to signify um, like boxes in his memories, of his memories. So we had like a box for mum, a box for dad, a box for Beth, a box for Sarah. So like there'd be one point in the play, like at the beginning where uh, Sean's character would pull out like this like toy duck and it would take him to a memory. <laughs> um, and it, he did it brilliantly because he kind of like, it was the first thing that he grabbed and he kind of was like really hesitant. He didn't see what was in the box. And then he like slowly pulled up this like wooden duck that his sister had made an art class so it was quite funny um so yeah we we used that and um, that was kind of like brought from the object improvisation that we spoke about earlier where we were randomly uncovered say like a pack of chewing gum and had to use that to do an improvisation so we used that in the final play which is really fun um and then in the latest uh rendition so the third kind of version of in linda that we uh took the art there um, we decided to completely scale that away with no props whatsoever, apart from three stools 
and a load of um, like children's kind of paintings that we all did ourselves. We're quite proud of that. And we basically just covered the back wall in just loads of pictures, like childlike drawings of like houses and suns and flowers and all that kind of thing. And that kind of signified like his memory. So it's kind of like he's in this empty space and there's just pictures on the wall. Um, so that gave us a lot more freedom. It gave us uh, more freedom to focus on like the relationships between the characters. Because uh, one thing that we found we really needed to work on from the Tristan Bates piece was Isla's character. So the guide's character, like who is she? What does she signify? Like we kind of spent so long on the human characters that we kind of didn't focus on like, what Isla was to James. So we used a lot of, uh, we actually had another director called Mark Cleaner, who was brilliant. He's like, a, he's an acting teacher and director in London and he uses a lot of the Meisner techniques, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, which is a lot about listening and repetition. So we used a lot of Meisner work in our uh, character building and character relationship work in the third rendition to figure out kind of like the connection between the characters and who my character was in relation to James. Um, and without giving too much of the story away, we kind of paired Isla and James into one person. So the the play actually takes place in almost his subconscious, in my view. I mean, it's kind of open to the audience, but in my view, the play takes place in his subconscious mind or an area in his mind that he's kind of not really been to before, where Isla lives and always has and always will live. So she's essentially a part of him. Um, and we kind of work together. So at the beginning of the play, they're completely far away. They don't know who each other are or what they mean to each other really, or James doesn't really know about who Isla means to her. And then at the end, they're in sync together, same movements, they're on the journey together. And he has someone with uh, him to go forward. Um, so it just completely changed from like a general, let's just focus on like one or two, like six people's like ending story, what at uh, their most depressed time in their life, to this one person, what was his story? What is it about him? Which gave us a lot more freedom to be specific in our choices. Because if you're gonna talk about suicide generally and just say, oh, suicide, this is the sign of suicide in everyone. This is what everyone goes through before they take their own life, which is a big no-no. Like everyone is completely different, obviously. It, it meant that we could really focus on James as an individual and it meant that some people could relate to him, some people couldn't, and it just meant that we could explore it that way. And I would, just to jump in, I would say the example of the change in set, so that was a really good example of how that could have, that was an obstacle, you know, so in prisons we couldn't bring our set with us because A, it wasn't transportable because it you know there was quite a lot of stuff but also you know there's there's a lot of security um the wooden duck was now a, a safety hazard um so we realized in a practical sense we needed to strip back and instead of going oh my god that's ruined our play the whole point of this play is that it's about objects instead of feeling panic we were like okay great so scrap that what can we do instead what what positives does this give us? Oh, it gives us more spatial freedom. Amazing. Okay, what can we do? So it's it's all about not getting distraught, not getting too hooked onto these ideas. That was a hugely improvising process. We have our babies as individuals. We we all have different creative ideas, 
and sometimes you get a bit fixated of no but I really have this vision that it, the stage is cluttered and stuff and being able to let go of that for practical reasons or also just to make sure it's a, a real collaboration is so important so yeah I think it's really important just that, that idea of we we embraced really early on this idea of you know it's our baby you know we let go of that so early on and you know there's a saying um oh, I can't remember who said it hold on tightly let go lightly no not that one <laughs> that's, <laughs> was, a lot of that's a good one um no <laughs> great saying Anna the uh, no this uh, is basically don't uh, this this writer said don't call it your baby because you're gonna have to kill it <laughs> and it was just like whoa but it's so true because you're gonna have to just totally get rid of it and let it go um and it's just it was just so freeing once we'd done that as a group yeah for sure 100 but it was probably nice to realize that you didn't have these restraints anymore you know it just probably felt freeing to allow you to just kind of you know even explore it more which which is great um now knowing that you guys all created uh this company and this piece together as a collective uh what roles have you taken on in the company aside from the creative roles as performers um, so we re I realized that there's a lot of admin involved in um, <laughs> putting on a production in a fringe festival and I think we all gravitated towards roles that we just naturally felt like um, we'd be good at like I'm, I'm quite a like organized planny type of person and so I ended up like taking over we had like a, like a company email address where we'd be liaising with the, um, the Tristan Bates Theatre um, and then liaising with Samaritans um, and then of the schools and uh, prisons and so there's quite a lot of like organizing that goes goes on in that and contracts and um, sorting out all the, all the kind of uh, that technical administrative side of, of things that um, I took on that role um, and others. Um, so I just really like money. So I do money stuff. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I, I don't really know how I landed this. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of have generally been keeping on top of uh, sort of finance and stuff like that. And also uh, app to do with um, funding applications and stuff. But to be honest, the thing to say is that as an, as not to be a stereotype, but sometimes a lot of actors feel very overwhelmed about this stuff you know B has been amazing and she's so organized but then you know we, we've had to take on roles in some ways that are like I would have my friends would laugh if they knew that I was like helping with accounting stuff but we've all sort of supported each other to um and we've made we just had to do it we just had to get on with it really because it's too good an opportunity to pass up but yeah anyway so that's that's me um, yeah, I've been doing the social media and sort of like uploads and the Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that like as in all the other things that we haven't mentioned, like the transcribing, the like phone calls, like all the like random stuff, like the applications, like we kind of work together mostly. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, like Sean is an incredible writer as is, well, we're all incredible writers, but I think, yeah, we all kind of gravitate to, to different things, but we all kind of work together, like B will sometimes do the social media. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was like, 
like I think I'm, I'm, I'm basically the literary manager and it's like I with the with the second draft you know I spent three days just going over that script and just really just kind of honing in on what we already had and just bringing trying to just sort of bring a bit more color to the brilliant stuff that you know these guys had already generated in the improvisations so um so yeah but you know in terms of a lot of the admin stuff these guys are incredible and I'm probably not as in, <laughs> as involved with that stuff because it's just uh, my head doesn't work that way but it, it, we just we realize each other's strengths and we bounce off each other really well oh that's great it's good to hear I mean it's it's you, you often think of you know you have the artistic director and they're not usually one that directs or acts or you know what I mean there's all that hierarchy and tier and nobody ever really thinks you know what happens to a company that is a company that devises things all themselves so someone's got to take care of it so thank you for sharing you know along with your roles and how you brought this character you know what it is you guys do from the company side of things I think it's really important you know for everybody to know that I'm not just an actor on stage I do do I do other stuff as well um, so now for many artists out there that may want to start their own company someday, um, can you let us know how you go about accessing funding for your company's work? Yeah, um, it's, it's a huge thing. It, it's so sad because unfortunately money is so important um, and um, it's hard to come by in this industry. And especially as, you know, young, just out of drama school in a, in a huge amount of debt to individuals. Um, it's tricky. Um, so the main thing that we did at the beginning, um, so we started a, a crowdfunder basically because at the beginning in the timescale we had, um, there was no funding applications we could physically fit to do. So that was pretty much our only option. Um, so we created it, we used Indiegogo, but there's other uh, platforms out there but in the end that just made the most sense to us um, and created that page um, sent it out to friends and family um, and just kind of kept them informed so that they knew where our money was going to go it was really important to us to sort of make a breakdown so they knew what the money was being spent on it wasn't going into our pocket um, so that was props costume but again we tried to keep everything to a minimum, you know, in terms of costumes, obviously our own clothes, um, props, we only, we used whatever we could find, but had to buy a couple things. Um, and then it, with the fringe, it was a, a profit share that we had um, with the Tristan Bates. Um, also, I mean, this isn't to do with our own funding, but a good thing that we also, in terms of money, um, with Samaritans was that during our performances at the Tristan and Bates we every performance we had a Samaritan volunteer with collection buckets and card readers um, we had a little speech at the end sort of explaining why they were there how important they were to us and in the end we raised 711 pounds 80 pence um, for Samaritans which I mean is a drop in the ocean but that's 700 more pounds than they would have had so that was an amazing thing that's Basically, four days that's four days you know yeah. that's not like a three week a month run that's four days yeah Just checking that in there <laughs> um so basically we've had an insanely generous support of friends and family um and people that have been on board with the show since day one you know we've kept them posted on social media so we're incredibly grateful to everyone that supported us because we couldn't have done it without them um so and then um with our 
second, you know, community outreach, we did another um, Indiegogo fund. And in total, we've raised from both uh, crowd vendors about uh, just over £3,000, which is amazing. Um, and we've just tried to get our message out there. We've done videos. Um, and uh, we also applied for Arts Council. And it's good to acknowledge when you don't always succeed. So we spent an, an like agonising amount of time filling out this Arts Council form. Um, trying to get it right and um, we didn't get the funding. I mean, they were very positive, but that's a very common thing, you know, um, they don't have unlimited pots of money. So, um, but we'll and try to- it happens to everyone. Yep. I spend hours on applications all the time um, because when I'm not a volunteer, I am a fundraiser. And, you know, I think it's like a 20% success rate on applications. So always your projects never, your project i always think your project's probably not bad there's just not enough money for all the people that need it or exactly. want it so it's always yeah. you always just need to persevere it's never about you yeah. and you can always reapply like you just have to jump back on it and just keep going yeah. and it's like doing your gcses or your a levels you're jumping through hoops not really showing how bright you are <laughs> exactly it's so Picking boxes yeah yeah. So yeah, so it's been a challenge to be honest. We've been very, we're so grateful for the support we have had. Um, we've also had to put our own money in, you know, before the crowdfunder. We didn't get the money until after the show was done because the platform doesn't pay you. So, you know, we were buying props with our own money and stuff, but we really just, we wanted to make it happen. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of fringe people can relate. It's, it's heartbreaking what you have to put in it's not just your time but also your time is money because you can't work because we have three weeks intensive rehearsals so we have to not work those three weeks so yeah it's been really tough but um i probably would have been a pessimist at the beginning and said no i i feel awkward asking for friends and family for money uh we wouldn't get anything it would be embarrassing maybe if we didn't get any money and then we've we've actually done so well so you know if you don't ask you don't get basically and it's nothing personal if you don't get i guess is a good lesson too of course no of course um and from the people that have seen you at tristan bates to the kids that saw you in the school and i'm sure the listeners that are listening to this um please 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 just let us know what's your plans for the future a lot a lot of plans I keep, I keep it. My, my answers are often short, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> the, no, we've, um, we've, we've definitely, you know, it's just basically that, that thing of just honouring Brixton Prison. Uh, I think B kind of covered it. The, you know, it's that thing of you know, those prisoners have been locked down for 23 hours of a day, getting potentially an hour and a half time outside or to make a call to a, um, a loved one. So I think that's going to be our main focus is those those guys just need something that's a bit different and that's also going to help them open up a dialogue. So the prison performances is the main focus at the moment. And I think, to be honest, like that's enough, just honouring that and just, you know, making sure that, you know, the, the project does exactly what we aimed out to do. Um, and just then also hopefully taking it to Vault Festival and then from Vault Festival to Edinburgh, there's that wonderful plan but at the moment you know the outreach side of things I think the prisons just because the response was so positive from the inmates and there is definite need for it 
uh, I think that's a really good place for us to start with the public outreach. And then in terms of the fringe circuit, Vault Festival Edinburgh, that's the plan. Yeah, yeah. And also and just, other, other schools as well, because I think that from the response we had from Artstead, we, we do feel like it is really important to persevere with the schools, despite like some obstacles that we've come up with. And um, we want to, to reach out to other schools. Obviously, that the COVID situation makes um, everything a little bit uncertain at the moment, but we want to focus on our community outreach and then um, also take it further into... Um, into other fringe festivals definitely and just linking back to the funding side as well you know we've made this commitment we still have the funds that we've raised um you know we've, some of it's gone on um art said um but we do have this commitment to everyone that supported us to take it to brixton and to wherever we can so that's definitely our priority at the moment because we're like i say still so grateful for that that we have and we have those funds now to do that it's just when the world will cooperate with us. <laughs> yeah, we've all, we've just loved the journey so far. And it's just that thing of, you know, when those, basically when this lockdown kind of eases and we're allowed to go back into those kind of buildings, we're, we're ready, we'll do it. And we, we can't wait. Right, oh, that's so good to hear. Now, uh, before we go ahead and say goodbye, Jesse, uh, could I just throw it over to you? Would you be able to uh, offer some resources for people who may be struggling with mental health during this time? It's a big question. I think I'm, I'm hesitant to say there's one way to help you with your mental health at the moment because everyone's mental health it has been impacted by lockdown, even if you normally have the privilege of brilliant mental health um, and stable mental health. I, I personally do, and I have been struggling with certain aspects. So I think everyone know, everyone should know that you can call the Samaritans. I think one thing, one barrier we have is that people think you need to be suicidal or have be suffering from anxiety and depression to call the Samaritans you don't if you're just having a bad day and need someone to talk to as a sounding board that's confidential that's non-judgmental please do pick up the phone it's 116123 um, and there's the email address which you can find on our website which I think is joe at samaritans.org yeah. <laughs> and um, a lot of branches we offer a face-to-face -face service as well. Obviously, that's currently shut um, due to COVID. But I know that Samaritans, many branches, our branch included, are eager to get that up and running as soon as we can, as safely as we can. So keep an eye on the Twitter, social media for that. But there's also other brilliant places you can find your own support and different support. Um, there's a lot, there's a wealth of information online. Um, I know you know apps like headspace and things like that can really help um and i think just everyone's struggling so talk to your friends um look up the samaritans listening wheel which we've talked about quite a lot if you just want some new tactics to listen to your friends that made it sound really ominous tactics i meant like some help on ways you can listen to them and not offer advice if that's what you're trying to avoid but just ask your friend how they're doing, genuinely, um, whoever they might be, however you consider their mental health to be. But there's just so much out there um, and there might be a bit of a wait, but I'm sure you'll find something. And there's brilliant, there's a text line as well, the shout. 
I have no idea what Shouts number is. Um, but there's a lot of stuff out there. So please do look it up. People want to listen and want to help. Jesse, thank you so much for giving us that information. If we can just help one or two people, you know, get, get what they need, that's, that's a job well done. So I thank you very much for that. Sean, Beatrice, Catherine, Anna, and Jesse, thank you so much for being here with us today, discussing your wonderful company, talking about your brilliant show, and Jesse for talking about your beautiful charity with us. Um, go ahead and follow Seven Arc Productions on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep up to date and see what they're up to next. And go ahead online and check out the Samaritans to learn more. Thank you for joining us for Couch Chats, behind the scenes with Seven Arc Productions. Join us next time for more in-depth theater experiences all from our couches.